In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of truth who art in all places and fillest all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us, and cleanse us from every stain, and save our souls, O gracious Lord. Amen. O Lord, show us the light of thy countenance, and we shall be made whole. Amen. May the words of my mouth and meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A little background, what led up to choosing this particular series that we'll open up with and I'll describe to you today. I have been pondering this and uh, kind of chewing on this since we had the Mass celebrating the Feast of the Transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because in that testimony of the Transfiguration, our Lord Jesus Christ invites His three disciples to go up with Him to the mountain. And you remember, it was in the darkness of night. And when they went up with our Lord Jesus Christ, that darkness had an impact on those three disciples. That impact is the same impact that the wee hours of the morning with no light would have on any one of us. They fell asleep. Jesus continued praying and fellowshipping with his Father. They fell asleep in the darkness of the night. But then we're told that as our Lord Jesus Christ prayed, he was gloriously transfigured before them. We're also told that when he was transfigured, that glory of God that absolutely radiated and permeated from him, no darkness around the top of that mountain could remain. When you look at almost all of the icons of the transfiguration, it's either inferred or it's actually written or drawn that the darkness is gone because the light of Christ is present. And it is the impact that that illumination The glory of Christ at the transfiguration had on the disciples that stayed with me ever since we celebrated that Mass. Because what was the result of the illumination of Christ on the disciples who were sleeping? They woke up. They awakened and they awakened to the brilliance because of the brilliance. And they awakened to the brilliance of the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ to them. They came out of their own darkness that they went up that mountain with. And they were illumined by Jesus Christ, which is why I'm entitling this series for us, Awakening from Our Spiritual Slumber, The Illumination of God in the Time We Are Given. Okay, And the ultimate goal of this series is twofold, at least in its most basic sense. It's twofold. One, is by this time we have together asking the grace of our Lord to illumine all of us so that we can recognize our spiritual slumber, so that we can see our spiritual slumber clearly. And by seeing our spiritual slumber clearly by His illumination, so that by His grace and our lives opening up to the encounter of Christ and that illumination, we can wake up. We can come out of that and all of those things that have kept us spiritually asleep. Last year, I used the book Everywhere Present by Father Stephen Freeman as a framework for our series in that first part of the fall that both Father and I did. 
And if you remember, and the series was called The Kingdom of God Near to Us, it provided, the book provided a framework. We didn't teach all through the book, but it gave us a wonderful framework that was going to help us demolish this false idea and this lie of Satan that our Christianity exists in a two-story universe. You remember that from last year? What do we mean by that? That when we're doing the spiritual things, spiritual things, when we're praying, when we're coming to church and the prayer services and the liturgies, God is with us. And then we step out of those doors and he's like thousands of miles away as if he went back upstairs to a place no one can attain or experience. And that tends to be the typical experience of many Christians, both in orthodoxy and outside of orthodoxy. And the whole purpose of that whole series was to help us bring a collapse within our own souls of this two-story to the one-story experience where God is always present and we can always experience him to our healing, to our salvation, the glorification of him in our lives. And in a way, in a way, the series we're going to start with today that I named for you is almost a part two because it's not until the collapse of the two-story universe that we begin experiencing the divine illumination of Christ brightly in our lives and in our souls in an active daily relationship and fellowship with him that we can see where we've been so spiritually asleep in our lives and didn't even know it. It's the only way we can come out of this thing. And so as we begin the class this year, I will be using another book again as a guideline and a framework. I'm not going to teach the book. I'll give you some things from it. But it gives us another great framework for this idea of coming out of our spiritual slumber and our lives literally being transformed in the way that we experience life itself by that. And it's a book. In fact, the book's right here. Book Time and Despondency. Time and Despondency by Dr. Nicole Rokas, who is an Orthodox PhD writer and editor. And there are many people in this parish that for the last two years have come to either myself or come to Korea Debbie struggling with spiritual slumber. They'll either say it's, that spiritual slumber will be spoken to us as a spiritual, I'm tired of my spiritual laziness. I can't seem to get off my spiritual derriere, right? And start engaging an active life of fellowship with Christ. Or they'll come to us with something that's actually very parallel. I can't get out of these besetting sins. The two are not different. The two problems are equal. And they're right with one another. And to each one of those folks that have come, either Korea, Debbie, and I, or or I, have suggested this book, and I've heard the testimony from everybody who's read through it and how much it really helped them. And so we're going to use this book by Dr. Nicole Rokas, Time and Despondency, again, as kind of a guide for us. You see, spiritual despondency is the very spiritual slumber in our darkness that we're talking about. And what Dr. Rokas does so very beautifully in this book is point out the way that we both perceive and engage time, the weeks, the days, the moments, the seasons of our life, the way that we treat time, handle time, and live in time is going to produce either a deeper spiritual slumber, keeping us in absolute darkness of shackles and bondage in many ways, or the way that we treat 
the fleeting moments of life that we are given in which to experience God, that time, because God is now fully present in those moments, can take us out of our darkness into his divine healing and the transformation of not only our experience of him, but our experience of time in this life itself. That's what the book helps us with. And that's what this series is designed to, because my friends, there is a tie. There is a great tie to the experience and use of time and either the experience or lack of experience of God in our lives. You, you get that. Now, we ought to already be going in our minds, man, I really need to look at my time. Because that's one of the things that this class is going to do. And don't run out. I'll follow you, find you, bring you back. But we need to take an honest look at what we do with time in the time that we are given and stop thinking we have thousands of years to get around to certain things, which we all do. I mean, my mantra in life is I'm going to stop procrastinating tomorrow. You know, yours might be too, right? Right? Okay. So when I talk about the two things that we're seeking in this series together, let me go a little bit further as an introduction to both of the things, both of our goals here. The first is this, like I said, for the Lord to reveal, for him to illuminate in us our state of spiritual slumber and the darkness within and around us that has caused us to, such a, to be in such a spiritual sleep. I mean, you do understand that when we're in any state of spiritual slumber in our soul, we are really in no condition to realize how deeply we're sleeping. Think about that. When we are living in that slumber, we're not awake enough to see anything. How is it any different than when we physically sleep? You know, when we physically sleep in the moments, you're not aware of how deeply you're sleeping until the alarm goes off, and then you know you either slept well or not. Right? The same is true in our souls. When we're spiritually slumbering, we must have the light and the illumination and the experience of Christ in the moments and days of our lives even to see it, much less come out of our spiritual slumber. Does that make sense? Okay. So it's true for us because the reality is this, because in spiritual slumber, what we're really doing is we're groping about in an unillumined darkness within ourselves, darkness of our own fallenness, groping, we may be groping about in the unillumined darkness of this world, and in the darkness, who in the world can ever see anything clearly? None of us. We need the illumination of Christ, not only to wake us up, but to show us how asleep we truly were. My prayer that in this series, for my life, and I'm telling you, even as I've been preparing already and thinking about this, this has been a wake-up call to my own spirituality, and I think it will be for all of ours, at least I pray so. Trust one thing, that when God illuminates things in us, which we're asking for, this is an understatement, but the Lord is a gentleman. The Lord is never going to rock our world in a way that we can't handle. He's not going to reveal to us too much at one time. He knows us so infinitely and intimately that he will only reveal those things like peeling the layer of an onion one at a time, but he will do it. And we at least want to 
intensify this journey of allowing him to get to one layer at a time. Okay, we're gonna need, we'll need to trust that. And once we see, the second purpose of this series is once we see how asleep we are, that same illumination that showed, it, showed us that reality also reveals and creates for us a path to wake up and to live in such a way that is far more holy and righteous that brings peace and contentment to our lives rather than that constant chaos where we don't know ourselves at all. In fact, we might see that once we see how asleep we are and our Lord begins that illumination, the great physician always has prescriptions. And since we're on this theme of waking up, they're probably going to be smelling salts to us where we wake up very quickly and see certain things. Thank God. Thank God. And we can offer those things to him uh, for his touch and his help. You see what we're after together, okay? That's where we're heading. So let's do this this morning and only this this morning. We're going to take a stab at beginning to understand spiritual despondency, which is that spiritual slumber, okay? But I'm going to start off with the antithesis. <clears throat> Metropolitan Anthony Bloom, in his book, Beginning to Pray, which is a wonderful book. If you want to start your prayer life and learn even the basics, but the beautiful, critical basics of prayer, it's a great book. Metropolitan, Metropolitan Anthony Bloom, from Beginning to Pray. He said this, learn to master time. And you will be able, whatever you do, in the stress, in the storm, in tragedy, or simply in the confusion in which we continuously live, to be still, immovable in the present, face to face with the Lord. And I tell you this, that's the result of waking up. The result of our waking up in Christ by his help and his illumination is all of a sudden, not only do we perceive, but we live in life with such a greater strength under our legs. Not that we're some great thing, but Christ is. And when the storms hit our life, I love how he puts it, immovable, stayed at peace. And I'm telling you right now, when I watch people who have allowed themselves to be illumined by Christ all of their days, and I promise you this, and they've gone years, years ahead of me, but when I see them, I tag them as I have to become like that. Why? Because I see people in that faith that have some of the most devastating, horrendous things happen to them in life. And I, I see them as if they're not even bothered by it. I want that. See, and that's what Metropolitan Anthony Bloom is trying to convey to us. That's what it means to be awakened, that by sitting before God, by bringing God into the precious moments of our existence and beholding him, that's how we become like that. It's just like I said on the Mass of Transfiguration, and I said it's one of my favorite scriptures. That truth comes from St. Paul in 2 Corinthians, 3, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, who said, We all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. In other words, this is who we're seeing. And because we have a mirror on our face sitting before the Lord, we're being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Think about this. If I have a mirror in my, on my, front of my face that's facing Father James, and they look at me, they're going to see him. 
You see? This is the image that St. Paul is giving, that we so commune with God. And you look at all the lives of the saints. You look at St. Herman of Alaska. I've said this many times. St. Herman of Alaska, the natives of Alaska, would go out to the island where he lived just to be with him, not because they experienced St. Herman, but because they experienced Jesus in him. Okay? And that's what Paul is saying. So there's no question that the result of such an experience with God is that we live and realize in our lives an entirely different experience of life and a very different perspective on all things in our lives. Okay? So despondency, the opposite, that which keeps us from that. Lock this in. Despondency is the opposite of what you just heard. Despondency, put simply, is that spiritual slumber in our lives that works completely against our having that experience in the moments of our lives. Let me read a few things. I'm going to read the summary on the back of this book just to give you a better idea of this because it puts it very well. Idleness, apathy, restlessness, procrastination. These are symptoms of what the early Christian theologians called despondency, a spiritual sickness rooted in a lack of care of effort, a condition as old as the ancients. Despondency thrives in today's culture of leisure, anxiety, and digital distraction. Time and Dependency, the book, is penetrating synthesis of ancient theology, spiritual memoir, and, and help, practically. It envisions despondency, and listen to this. It envisions despondency as the extension of a broken relationship with the experience of time. Driven by fear of death and the anxiety of living, despondency drives us to abandon the present moment. Think of the ways we abandon the present moment in our spiritual slumber with all of the different distractions. We don't even know why we're going to those distractions. We don't know anymore why we pick up our phone to look at every blooming text as soon as it comes in, do we? We don't know why. We don't know why we have to know the latest and greatest on every news and political channel there is. We don't know why, do we? And yet we're driven from something in us to do it. We're going to look at these things because there is something behind all of it. And what it's doing is it is robbing us of the experience of God in that present moment. That could grant you a far different experience than the bad text you just got. Or the bad news you just sought, your, sought after and took into yourself. You see? There are things in our spiritual slumber we have got to discover why we are running to them. While we're running to them, it is absolutely denying the opportunity of an experience of God in those moments. This is what she's saying and what many of the fathers talk about. The remedies offered by time-honored Christian thinkers for this predicament constitute not only an antidote to despondency, but also the stepping stones back to the present moment in regaining the sacredness of time and the experience of that, I would add, we re-encounter the resurrection of Christ in the dark and restless moments of our lives. 
I'm going to read to you just a couple of very brief paragraphs in our introduction to this book, again, trying to flesh out so that we understand what despondency is. She says, the first time I, the first time I recall actively struggling with what I now recognize to be despondency, in late antiquity, the preferred term for this was a Greek word which literally means a lack of care or concern. Early theologians thought of despondency as an absence of effort, particularly in the spiritual life. We exert ourselves for the things we care about. And when we don't care about anything, we remain passive and inactive. Despondency is alternatively described as slackness of the soul. And I like how she describes this. Like a belt that is stretched with time, the soul grows loose with apathy and ceases to hold us up. From this kernel, that is despondency, from this kernel of disregard, sprout our restlessness, our rumination, our anxiety, our despair, our sadness, our distractibility, the common, albeit morose, bedfellows of despondency. And she says, behind the symptoms of despondency, and this is critical for us to have a look at, behind the symptoms of despondency, is our pain. Behind the symptoms of despondency is our pain. It's the pain of existing in a world that's become haunted by intemperance and marred with brokenness and fragmentation. We cease caring once the act of caring wounds us or becomes too heavy a burden to bear. The restlessness, the rumination, the distraction, they crop up to fill the empty places within us where their meaningful concern and effort once dwelled. I want to point out a number of truths and talk about them for just a moment that were just pointed out to you. The first is this. Despondency, our spiritual slumber, is at the root of our restlessness, anxiety, despair, sadness, and our ability to constantly be distracted by things that have nothing to do with eternity and our soul and the health of the soul, which is the only thing any one of us has that is eternal. Despondency keeps us from any opportunity, from the experience of joy and contentment and that unshakable peace that Christ has shared with us and wants to share with us. That peace that, as the scripture calls and Metropolitan Anthony Bloom referred to, that peace that goes way beyond any human understanding. When certain circumstances are happening in my life, they should bring the antithesis of peace and joy and happiness and all of those other things. And yet because of Christ, we actually experience his peace as a gift to us. This is what we're after. Despondency keeps us from that. And he, she says very clearly, we exert ourselves for the things that we care about. Now, I've said this many times in this parish, and you'll remember. You've heard me say before that where we spend our time, where we invest ourselves in the moments of time, reveals to us is an absolute clear indication of where we've set our hearts. And there is no way around it. Where we choose to make our home in time shows us where our true love lies. My goodness, is that telling. Lord, have mercy on us all and help us and help us. She says this, 
so critical. And the fathers talk about this extensively. Behind all the symptoms that we just mentioned of despondency, restlessness, anxiety, despair, sadness, uh, easily distractedness, all of that, behind all of those is our pain. Our internal, unhealed suffering, yet, I would put yet to be healed by Christ suffering, is behind all of that. Not one of us exists in this moment, even now, without some suffering within us, some pain that has not yet been healed by our Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you about something about pain, these sufferings within us. Pain within the human person is never silent, and it is never still. Never silent, it's never still. Pain is always active. It is actively crying out for something to soothe it. It cries out through our actions, and we don't even know it. It cries out in our inner dialogue with ourselves, in our thoughts, and in our minds and we don't recognize it. And it cries out through our voice at times when we finally do recognize it. Why is pain? Why is it that pain is behind all of these symptoms of despondency? Because, my friends, like we talked about briefly this morning, we were not created to lack anything, and we were not created in paradise with a purpose of suffering. We weren't built for lack. And we weren't built for suffering. But as a result of the fall of man, all of us were born inheriting lack and inheriting suffering within us. Adam and Eve never experienced it until they fell. But when they fell, they suffered lack and suffering. And we're born not only inheriting the condition of that lack and suffering, we're born into a fallen world that does nothing but promote lack, bring us to greater lack, and bring us to a greater suffering in our lives. That's what the fallen world will produce. Always. Uh, you can bank on it. And we know this because our souls are not content. They are not full. And in this life, we've experienced further suffering either by the hands of others, by situations in our lives, or if we experience suffering because of our very poor choices to engage things that diminish us and cause us a suffering in our souls. Now, here's an important truth that we're going to have to see. Either our pain and our suffering will reach out and voice itself to be heard by the ears of God and receive a touch that fills us by Him and heals us, or our pain is going to reach somewhere else. It's never neutral. That's what I mean by our pain is never silent. Our pain is always active, seeking to be soothed. So it's not going to find healing in God. It's going to find constant fuel on the fire of our lack and the fire of our suffering by choosing anything other than Him. Anything other than Him. See? And this is precisely what the writer of the book speaks about when she writes, the restlessness and distraction, they crop up within us to fill the empty spaces. Where we lack, if it is empty and not filled with God, it will begin to fill itself up with something that other than Him 
and that will create that further pain and lack. That is how we work in our humanity. The trick is this. We don't even see it when it's happening because we're sleeping. We don't see where that is occurring in our lives because we're asleep. Christians that live a life of illumination where they are before God in fellowship, the Lord tells us, watch out for your slumber here, wake up from this. He shows us, he points it out, he reveals to us those things. Then he uncovers all of those things about restlessness, despair, and all of those things that stem from that spiritual slumber. And he says, now let's open the hood and look where this is coming from. I want you to see what's yet to be healed and what you're lacking within yourself because I can fill it and I can heal it. Those who are illuminated of God because of the way that they live in the moments of this life, they are on a journey of that very strengthening where they're not so captive to all of this stuff anymore. Are you getting that? This is what we're after. Allow me to read just a few more things from Dr. Rokas. Again, continuing to try to understand the spiritual slumber called despondency. Countless visible and invisible forces in our culture collude to form the perfect recipe always for despondency. We in our lives actively deny the reality of death on the one hand while seeking lives of immediacy, self-focus, and leisure on the other hand. Even if we wish to sidestep such mentalities, it is difficult to locate domains in which a simple and authentic Christian life can be lived. Despondency quickly steps in to fill the empty spaces. Despondency in all of its complexity and cunningness arises from a relationship to time that has become broken. It amounts to no less than a perpetual attempt of the mind to flee from the present moment, rather to engage appropriately to flee the present moment, to disregard the gift of God's presence at each juncture of time and space. The path to healing, paved by well-trodden, by steadfast souls who've gone before us, is one and the same back to God in the present. That's the work of the Christian to see this and get back to this. When she states that the truth of despondency that arises from a relationship to time that's become but broken and says it amounts to no less than a perpetual attempt by the mind to flee the present moment and disregard the gift of God's presence, she's beginning to talk about and start to reveal to us, okay, here's the problem, here's the solution. We see the turn start to happen. There's more to be explored about our despondency first, but she begins to give us that light of where we're heading, the light at the end of the tunnel. Because the path back to the encounter with God in the precious and fleeting moments of our lives is the answer. Making the moments far from futile. How many of you go through the course of a day and you would honestly say that there are many times of that one day that seemed futile to you? That seemed neutral at best, if not horrific because of the decisions we made. But at best, it just happened with no result. It's not the life that God offers the Christian. This is why we need this. 
And this is why we need this assistance. All of us, all of us would say many days of our life and too much of those days in our life. We live as if time is passive and there's nothing to be found in the moments. That's our slumber. That's our slumber. Let me read to you just a couple more things as we begin to close. She writes of something at a time where she was just coming into the Orthodox faith. She said, one of my first impressions of Orthodox Christians was that time flows differently here. Something mysterious happened when I entered the church for services. Time became beautiful again. No longer merely the engine of change and decay, time in the Orthodox liturgical setting seemed to bear something of eternity. She said, because of that, I saw my despondency for what it truly was, a condition that robbed my entire self, body, soul, and spirit of the freedom to dwell with Christ in love. I saw that when I read it, and I started taking stock of those moments of futility in my life, and I almost wept because in my spiritual slumber and despondency, I'm denying myself the ability to experience the unfathomable love of God in the moments of my life. It's really what our slumber does. We are designed to receive and experience that unbelievable love, not that God has, but God is, as he, poured it in, as he pours it into our lives. You see, despondency is that darkness that entraps us in the darkness of a life that in futility cries out for that healing salve and restores our most true identity to us as, as human persons. It destroys it because it cries out and reaches out to anything but God to find it, which, by the way, how many times do I have to say, Satan is the least creative being. God is the most. Satan's whole aim is redundant. From the very beginning in the garden, his whole aim was to separate man from the loving experience of God, period. And what does he do in the time of our lives, in the moments of our lives? He's at it always, trying to numb us, certainly not allow us to show God our true pain and our need, because Satan knows that if we show it, we'll experience exactly what our soul longs for and needs. And we will no longer be separate from the experience of the divine love of God in our lives. Despondency is one of his greatest weapons. And again, despondency, taking the importance out of the moments in time with God that we have in a very short life, when not one of us knows if we have another moment or day. You know, it goes back to what the church keeps before, it, keeps before us at least two times a year, and that's the precious gift of our mortality, which is designed to recapture the blessed moments and experiences with God in our lives on a daily basis. Because if we truly believed that we may not have another moment of breath, that last moment would have looked a lot different. And we know that. And we know that. 
I'm going to conclude with Father Alexander Schmemann on despondency. He says, despondency is the impossibility to see anything good or positive. It is the reduction of everything to negativism and pessimism. This is running rampant inside the Orthodox Church and outside. He says, despondency is the suicide of the soul, because when man is possessed by it, he is absolutely unable to, know, to both see the light and even desire it. I have an assignment for you to consider doing this week, and that is, let's look at time. Let's deeply investigate our time for just one week. For just one week. If our pain is constantly crying out for, towards something to be soothed and healed and filled, where is your pain directing its cry? And how are you going to discover that? What you do in the moments of your time. As you go through this week, when you start sinking back into those things creating spiritual slumber, note them. I don't care how you do a little bit of writing or journaling or thinking or praying, but the bottom line is make note of the things that are doing nothing but bring futility to that moment, rather than what could be the blessed experience of God in that moment. Are you with me on the assignment? Look at how you spend your time and ask Christ as you look for his illumination. We will all be blessedly challenged. And I promise you this, again, layer at a time. He's not going to show you something you can't handle. But discover it. And let's bring it to the table when we meet next time. Okay? Let's stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you all. Good to see everyone.